This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Thanks for joining us today at the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Tim and Pastor Michael with you. Michael, I know you're excited about answering this question, so let me throw it at you here. Is it okay to leave my church if they become charismatic? Well, what do you say? A lot. Uh, so let me let me more try to serve the the person who's plausibly asking this rather than give my own opinions of what I would do. <laughs> so number one, I guess the question would be: Are you charismatic? There you go. Charismatic is a spectrum word. It means uh, very different things, yep. and it depends on where you're at on the spectrum, right? And so you have a full continuationist, we'll say, three quarters of the way down the right side of the spectrum. You have a full cessationist over at the far left side of the spectrum. If you all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way, yeah, right? Uh, okay. You, you you can have like a, a weird version of prosperity, faith, healing, whatever. You know, so mm-hmm. like charismatic, like Benny Hinn is charismatic. Yes. And yeah. he's he's off off the charts, off the chains. Sure. Not even barely proclaiming the gospel at all. Joel Osteen would be a version of, of charismatic, charismatic, you know? Yep. And so what I would say is to a degree, most Christians are somewhat charismatic. So I, I could agree with that. So the, the concept of charismatic comes from the word charisma. It just means gift, right? Gift. And it's this idea that God gives spiritual, spiritual gifts. Some kind of a spiritual gift. To his people. And uh, if you believed in the gift of teaching, then you're charismatic to yep. a degree. You're to, on the spectrum, yes. right? I've only met one person that I can think of that believes all spiritual gifts have ceased and they would not be charismatic. So there is some degree of a spiritual gift that would that most people would say exists. But there are people that will look at a church service and say, oh, those people are holding their hands up or those people are holding their palms up during the time of singing. Therefore, they are charismatic. Yeah, they, that's technically, yeah. that's like, um, it's not the most appropriate word to use. I would say that it's not inappropriate, but the problem is the word for most pastors and and people with somewhat of a biblical literacy use the word to refer to more spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts and the exercising of those spiritual gifts that were in the first century in their current context. Right. So I believe, personally, I'll give you an example for myself. I believe there are gifts of teaching and leadership and and. Um, helps and whatever. And so to a degree, I'm charismatic. Yeah. Um, I do believe the gift of apostleship and uh, healing and miracles uh, ended with the apostolic age. And I can make okay. a really good biblical yes. defense for it. Yes, I, think. I agree. Um, that's not just like a random, like, oh, I don't, I'm scared. Like, no, I think there's a really great biblical defense for him. So I'm charismatic to a degree. So it just depends on where you're at, what you're comfortable with. Now you could have a church where you're really comfortable with their definition of their spiritual gifts but they might just be super quote-unquote charismatic in their expression of worship. Yes, and you may the way that. in which they worship. So, like, I'll, I'll give you an example of something. Uh, d- don't get me wrong. Whoever you are, wherever you're listening, this is just me not condemning anything, just giving a personal preference. The moment somebody, the moment they have a flag team, I'm out. <laughs> a flag team, okay. Like, you mean w- the, w- so, waving ribbons during the service? So is that what you're like talking about? Flag or, bearers. Or the hanker, no, hankies. No, no, no. They're a flag. So like, a, um, it's sort of like batons with flags and they uh, run around uh, through worship and the flags and they okay. run and whatever. And so it's like, um, they're flags. I mean, they're, uh, sometimes they're long and flowy and it's like, a, or they'll have dance ministries on okay, Sunday yeah, morning. Yeah. By dance ministries, I mean more, there's more people who have like, They'll be in the aisles, more dancing, sort of like hippies sometimes. That's typically how I see it on TV, but I've <laughs> okay. um, been to a couple of those services. Uh, so there's a couple like stylistic things that I'm like, 
like if I see that, I'm kind of out, you know? And uh, those are just kind of a, a, a level of um, uh, not my style. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you know? So like you just got to know your limits. got to know who you are. You got to know what you value. Um, Tim, can you read what the person yeah, wrote? they go on to say, if speaking in tongues, having your own prayer language, which I've never heard of, that's in quotes, and faith healing is something that I'm uncomfortable around. And it wasn't part of the church before. And now the church seems to be going charismatic. Is this a reason to leave my church? Right. There's the person's context that they're giving us. So like at Village Church, if we started to move in that direction, some people would love it. And they'd be yeah, like, yeah, 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 you're finally getting it, you know? I think what they're saying, which is really valuable, is they're making a note. And this notion of a personal prayer language is not found anywhere in church history. In fact, as of the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, this idea that speaking in tongues equals a personal prayer, 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 language. prayer yeah. language where you're typically prayer, praying, and I don't mean this derogatorily, just factually, more of a gibberish language to yourself, but the mm -hmm. spirit is motivating it and interprets it or whatever. That, that concept that every charismatic has to be able to just come to grips with it, that is a new concept. That is a new concept that is not a biblical historical view that or a position that the first century church would hold. To. Not not at all. In fact, I think they would think that's nonsense because um, the reason they would think that is because that's what the pagan religions did. Yes. And so there's a, a lot of concern in the more conservative side of the charismatic gift movement that that is a rearticulation of pagan religions from mm -hmm. back in the day. Not, I'm not trying to make a comparison because I can hear somebody saying this in the back of their head. Not like how Christmas is a rearticulation of pagan <laughs> things. I mean, like legitimately, those were pagan practices where they would summon and let the gods take over take them, them over, and speak yes. through them in right. in languages they didn't understand, some sort of spiritist language, if you will. So that being said, like personally, this is where I would be at it if I was in a church and they started emphasizing the personal prayer languages. They started emphasizing in the corporate worship, those kind of things. I would probably sit down with the pastor. There you go. I'd want to know what's changing. Yes. Why is it changing? And I would probably get some counsel after I heard their opinions. I would have to ask myself, given their reason and their logic and their objectives and their motivations, um, am I comfortable with that? By and large, I want to do everything I can to stay in my church. I yes. don't want to leave my church. Right. Like that's one of the highest values. But there are some interpretive decisions. So hopefully the pastor opens up the Bible and mm -hmm. says, because of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, here's why I'm making these decisions. Now, what could be happening is they could be exposing an interpretive method of the Bible that's really just kind of bad. Yeah. And I may look at their interpretive method and say, that's going to drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. And I'm not comfortable bringing right. my friends or non-Christian friends here because I don't know if your interpretive method, how it's going to apply in other places. And I'm I, I'm now not confident in what you're going to say. Now, on the yes. other hand, they may have a great interpretive method and they yeah. may have a different understanding and takeaway, and that's fine. In that situation, here's a little bone for, for you, a uh, person who's dealing with this. Take them to Acts 2 and say this. How come the only example that we have of speaking in tongues in Scripture is Peter— speaking in his own heart language and everybody else Everyone. hearing it in their heart languages. And the, and the languages are named. And they're all valid. There's no confusion whatsoever. So why is it the one time we have tongues described in meticulous detail, you think that there's a better, new, totally different definition of speaking yeah. in tongues in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, specifically 12, 13, and 14. So that would be a little bone to say, like, 
Yeah, just know, show me this. Scripture's defined it for us already. So how do I how do I understand, particularly First Corinthians twelve and fourteen, in light of how Acts two defines right. the term? You know, so for what it's worth, that's a little like if you ever think you're going to leave a church before you do that, sit down with the leaders. Yep. You know, don't just leave. <laughs> I hate to use the analogy, but you know, sneak out the back door. It doesn't have to be confrontational. No, not at all. Help me understand why these things have changed. Where are we going with this so that I can know whether I am comfortable with this or whether I need to find a new place to worship? Yep. There's got to be that open dialogue with the leaders. Can I give a little double word of advice on that? Yeah. So when a pastor messes up with your community, your people, your church, it feels very personal because it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's be mm-hmm. honest, oh, right? yeah, it is. I'm going to give a stat. Tim, you can feel free to edit the stat. Okay. 99 per, 99%, okay? <laughs> 99% of pastors who have thought through something to the point where they're willing to make policy changes and they're willing to change practice Practices, in the church yep. publicly on already controversial issues, probably you're, you layperson are not going to change. You're your not going to change the leader's right. direction or their belief on why that directional change needed to be made. You're not going to make that. If the church is already going in this direction, they've thought it through enough to make the changes and you're not mm-hmm. going to change that direction. So what you're going to experience is anger. Oh. And the reason you're going to have anger is because this guy is threatening your community and oh. there's your people. And yeah. so you need to understand that the anger in that experience, particularly if this is a very common experience where you have a very clear-headed, logical person with a with a, a an interpretive method that is very simple and very logical and historical, and then you have a more charismatic interpretive method, which can be very emotional mm-hmm. and not as rooted in the text at times, not always, but historically at, at, at times, times. Yeah you will be tempted to be frustrated because they're not just, they're not thinking. It's not logical. It's emotional. All these other things that tend often to accompany pastors who start moving down a more charismatic uh, direction. And you're going to be tempted to see this person as a threat to your friendships and to your small groups. And you're going to wonder, can I even stay in this place? And I can't tell you how many times people stay in churches when their pastors are doing crazy things because because of the people. You, yeah, you, right. You know, but you're going to be tempted to be angry because this person is threatening all of this and they are threatening all yes. of this, but your anger will accomplish the Nothing. complete opposite Nothing. of what you want to accomplish. Yeah. And um, I would just challenge you to walk in, ask a lot of questions. Sure. Be very calm. Ask the Lord to give you unusual self-control. And 99% of the time, again, if they've already went to the point of publicly doing something, yeah. most of the time you're not going to change their mind. That's exactly right. And that's that's the hard reality. I, I'd love to say it was different, but that's probably not going to happen. Mm. Now, hopefully you're the 1%, you know, and you're the most humble pastor in the world. And they want to listen and they're always open to being wrong. I have just found that his, I'm using this word today a lot in the podcast, but historically, <laughs> yeah, often... <laughs> Tim, you're going to kill me for this. Just be really gracious. All right. I'm holding my, I'm holding my tongue. I'll let the, you say it. The older a pastor is, the less likely he is to admit he's wrong when it comes to doctrine decisions and practices that are rooted in Scripture. I agree. That is not meant to be whatever. It, it just, is. I don't take it that way. Right. I, I don't take it as, a, as an insult on someone who's getting older. It's just, it's the old adage, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You, yeah. you can't. Someone who is, believe something for a long time, it's very hard for them to change that. And the longer they believe it, the harder it is to change. Yeah. That is a very real, I agree with what you just said for myself too, right? 
to get me to change my view on speaking in tongues is going to take a work of God. Yeah. Right? Because I'm stubborn, right? And the older <laughs> I get, the more stubborn I'm getting. Out sure. Of. And, uh, but I want, I do, I do want to be really, I do, like, I want to be open. Like, there's like my hard part of my heart, which is like, I know more than mm -hmm. you. And then there's the, mm -hmm. the better part of my heart that wins that says, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. What, yeah, Michael? I could be wrong. Yeah. So if I am, what does that mean? Yeah. Like objectively, like I am wrong about a whole bunch of things. I just don't know what they are. <laughs> so like I need to give the next 40 years of my life. I need to be open to every person who filled with the spirit of God may prove me wrong. Right. Yeah, so that's that. Yeah. But pastors were trained. I would say if your pastor was trained in the fifties to the mid nineties, there was a, and this is not good or bad or right or wrong. It just is. You were trained to be the Bible answer man. Yes. And yes. you were trained that to be the, the guy with- That is the expectation for the pastor. Because the whole world didn't have the internet. They didn't have access, right? What happened in, in probably the mid-2000s is that pastoral training began, uh, depending where you're at, what schools you went to, but it began to change that now we are more people who are navigating a multiplicity of ideas. Sure. And we're trying to teach people how to wean through the ideas and bring the best ideas to the surface. Right. We're no longer dealing with a bunch of people- who the only way they're going to get an answer is if they open up a commentary. All, yeah. they literally, all I have to do is go online and find 50 views oh, yeah, on anything can. they want. Anybody can. Right. The role of the pastor has changed. And so I remember a conversation I had with a pastor about 12 years ago. And uh, at the time, he was in his probably late 40s, early 50s. And uh, we, we were talking about baptism, believer's baptism, infant baptism. Okay. I was, I was yeah. wrestling through the yeah. issue. And, and so I said to him, okay, okay, okay. How convinced are you of believer's baptism? And he said, mm, I'm trying to remember the numbers, something like 60-40. Oh, okay. And I was like, like that's, okay. And I said, well, then why do you preach it as 100%? Yeah. Uh, he quoted his, uh, the president of his seminary. Okay. Who said, men, uh, this is him quoting him. So I don't know yep, exactly, right. but I'm just yeah, giving okay. you the vibe, but it made sense to this guy. So men, there are going to be some issues that aren't 100%. But you got to preach it like it's 100% because your people need to know that you believe it 100%, right? Oh, boy. So I looked at <laughs> I looked at yeah, him and I said— I, I struggle with that. Right, I know. I, well, you are very unlike most <laughs> guys your your age. So um, I appreciate that. Yeah, take it as a big hug and via uh, Love it, love it. Okay. So I looked at him and I said, so you're lying. Yeah, in <laughs> essence, is what he like, is. No, I wouldn't look at it as lying because I do believe in it. I said, but you believe it at 60%, not 100%. Yeah. And it was just a funny conversation because in his brain, that wasn't lying. It wasn't deception. It wasn't, it was just, no, my job is to communicate confidence in the word. And so this is how we we do it. And so I told him, I said, you know, if I'm never seeing your pastor, um, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not going to do that. If, it, yeah. if I'm 51%, I'm going to say, here's where I'm at. Exactly. I'm Be honest and tell people. And there are some things like the gospel I'm 100% on. And there are other things I'm 90 or 70. Yep. And I think there's value in knowing some things are clearer than others. And there, yes. there are other perspectives that are that are helpful. Anyways, all I have to say. And I think what you're saying here is when it comes down to answering this person's question, when, when a church— I don't church, even remember their question yeah. right now. I literally am like talking and I'm like, what? <laughs> What I, is the question? You're, you're making a point that— I, I don't even know the I, point I, I'm making yeah, anymore. I, I love the point. But you, I think your point is, and, oh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, your yeah. advice to this, to this uh, <laughs> church member is, hey, when you get to the point where you no longer can trust your leaders, then it's time to have this conversation. You need to be prepared that it's not going to go well, and it's very likely that you are going to have to find another place of worship. It's very possible. The charismatic stuff, once they start going down to that, their preaching will inevitably change because yes. their interpretive method changes yep. 
that's a whole nother podcast. Well, let's come back next time and let's deal with this question about what about Pentecostals? Pentecostals.